the risk is huge. Um, I think this is what this isn't eight steps removed. This is literally your ambassador <laughs> creating content yeah, that true. you should approve or have a look at. I mean, this is, I mean, it's it's a no-brainer. I mean, let's get wobbly. I mean, come on. Welcome to Bruce News Week, recorded on 15 September 2022. I am Sabrina Kunz and I am today joined by founder and director of Sunshine Coast Craft Beer Tours, Creative Tours and co-host of Beers in the Shed podcast, Joshua Donahoe. Hi, Josh. Hey, Sabrina. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, well, um, it's just you and I holding down the fort while Matt is over in Munich. So um, I know you've just done some whirlwind work travel so he's now um he's now fanning the flame for australian beer i've seen some of his posts looks like he's having an absolute blast i know well we'll crack into the headlines um pretty quickly and actually this is one that's come um from matt's reporting overnight in munich convoy expands into europe australian-based keg pooling provider convoy has announced it's expanding its business into the uk and europe um, on the back of several new appointments convoy made the announcement at drink tech in munich Convoy Managing Director and Founder Adam Tripp-Smith said the business had bundled it up and made it easy for breweries and that COVID provided an opportunity as it was the first time in history that every keg in the world had stopped moving and it showed fleet owners that they really had no idea where their kegs were. Tripp-Smith said that the growth had been organic and on the back of that they would in the future look to the US and an eventual IPO. So a lot more in the story that will go live today um, but that's a pretty big announcement from Convoy. Huge. I mean, who would have thought there's such an opportunity still sitting there on the table in in Europe and the US? So if those guys can grab it, that's awesome. Yeah. And look, you'll see in the story, there's a bunch of appointments, you know, several uh, faces moving over from big brands, including Kegstar. Um, And it's clear that, you know, Convoy have been making massive investments. You know, this article notes $10 million into the Australian and New Zealand industry. So, you know, I mean, they haven't launched, they're not that old as a company, but they are really. they're really pushing some growth there. So that's pretty big news um, in terms of an Australian business moving, expanding overseas. So watch this space, I guess, hey, Josh? Absolutely. No, that's great news to hear. The next in sort of another large corporate in Australia making some moves, Endeavour launches retail marketing arm. Endeavour Group has announced the launch of retail marketing arm called Mixed In, which it says will allow suppliers to promote their products through its store and hotel networks. In response to questions from Bruce News, a spokesperson for the company said that Mixin sits within the merchandise transformation function as part of the broader merchandising team. They also confirmed they will only work with current range brands within the Endeavour group. I saw this news, this media release or this news article, um, and I have to say it's just sort of reconfirmed, I guess, the real power of um, the major retailers in our market was was my first thought on this yeah i mean they're big players uh and if they can now dominate that space or or perhaps you know i read a line in there that said you know it's a level playing field sure if you want to bid um to the highest bidder to to have that access so i don't know you 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 call that a level playing field but it's going to make it more challenging for for people to feature so yeah it's uh, you know and it's really fascinating because you know when we first saw this come into Bruce News, there were a whole host of questions, but one of them was sort of, okay, so like in the olden days, you'd go into a retail and you would, you know, try to get the end of a row and you would get your extra big cardboard cutouts around. And so, you know, on the one hand, this is just sort of next step in terms of, you know, modernising 
you know, an in-store retail sales opportunity and, and they've clearly indicated it sits within the merchandising component. But um, you layer that on top of um, they're going to promote products in their hotels network and you layer that on uh, how difficult it is to get range uh, increasing requirements from them to be ranged and increasing, um, as we've noted multiple times, own products that will get supported. Um, it really is meaning that, you know, the pay-to-play model has always been, but it's just getting tougher and tougher for small businesses. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I was to, to think of that from a tourism perspective, whereas some of the, the space that I play in, if I advertise our tours um, and then I advertise them with someone like Red Balloon who has that big market share, um, they want a commission to start with, so that makes the margin smaller. And then they're outbidding me unless I want to pay more or lower my price to feature higher in their features. So yeah. it's not dissimilar to that market. It's getting harder to beat the bigger guys who have that that, that yeah, have that playing field sewed up. So I think for smaller brewers who already that margin is tiny in places like Dan Murphy's. So how are they going to how are they going to afford to to pay more to feature highly um, in a space like that? I think that's going to be pretty challenging. Yeah, and I think you know for me the other thing it brought out, and um, you know the Indies are on in a couple of weeks' time, but you know it really did say it, this is not about whether independent beer or or large uh, breweries will be featured in this because clearly anyone can bid, but certainly it seems like there's an increasing opportunity for a joined up approach for smaller businesses to say like what are we going to do here um, in response, and so I think. Um, you know, you'd be expecting to see some more activity around that um, coming out of the IBA, I would have thought. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, a beer that is having no uh, trouble getting ranged, uh, Better Beer. Better Beer have an ABAC complaint. It's been upheld. And a alcohol beverages advertising code panel has considered a complaint against Mighty Craft's Better Beer brand, which highlights the role of influencer marketers in alcohol promotion. The complaint related to a video posted on Instagram that had a wavy filter and was tagged as saying, it's Friday, Arvo, let's get wobbly. As part of a TikTok, I really felt very proper just saying that. I felt like that's not how it went in the video, but but this is my newsread voice. Um, As part of a TikTok filter trend, the complainant accused the ad of encouraging people to drink intoxicated, which the complainant said was a direct breach of the code. The panellists ruled that the visual effect on the filter implied a person being intoxicated though I, through either being unsteady or having vision impaired by excessive alcohol consumption, which could be understood as an encouraging excessive consumption or treating the effects of excessive consumption as amusing. It upheld the complaint. So this was a really interesting one, I think, for a whole number of ways because Um, if you actually read into the decision, you know, they sort of said the conduct behind the filter wasn't anything that promoted excessive drinking. It was exclusively the application of the filter combined with um, with the tag that was put on the post. And so really that leads you to sort of uh, this point around, you know, influencers are not necessarily and are increasingly coming into brands so we just heard amy shark has just brought into a small brewery um you know there are a number that have um ex footy players involved and you know they're not necessarily as across the details of what would be considered appropriate and non-appropriate 
alcohol advertising and it's just showing how difficult it is to stay across all of the legalities and how to be really careful when you're giving your brand to folks who um, whose job it is is to not necessarily know these things. Surely breweries, uh, they have to be across this. If they've got an influencer who is going to be posting on their behalf, someone's got to be checking that and cross-checking it. There's just too many opportunities for that to go south. So I'm, I'm amazed they just let that happen. I mean, that's a pretty blatant one. I'm surely if someone at at uh, Mighty Craft there had a quick look at that before it went out they would have said yeah probably not going to run with that but I think this is the same like we've had the discussion before about where you buy ad placement and then all of a sudden you're standing outside Coles and the five screens above Coles are like um, alcohol ads and they really shouldn't be there because the person you pay an agency the agency buys ad placements the ad and somewhere down that line of like eight people removed from you are not paying enough attention to what are the things that ABAC would consider to be inappropriate. And, you know, nobody is signing off on these guys' Instagram, I'm sure. Like there is no world. And so and so there's some breweries where that is possible. But the further it gets away from somebody whose job it is, the harder it is to make sure you're on the right side of it. And yet... It doesn't take much to completely undermine a brand in terms of getting it wrong, whether it's this filter or something else, right? The risk is huge. Um, I think this is what this isn't eight steps removed. This is literally your ambassador <laughs> creating content yeah, that true. you should approve or have a look at. I mean, this <laughs> is, I mean, it's it's a no brainer. I mean, let's get wobbly. I mean, come on, they, they were kidding themselves trying to pass that one and a, a fuzzy filter. I remember putting on those old glasses, those, those sort of hazy glasses, yeah. trying to walk the line. I mean. It's right down that path, to be honest. So, um, yeah, look, it's probably a little bit scary, but I think it's just one of those things that, that breweries and, and other industries with brand ambassadors need to be across what they're doing. You can't let them have free reign. It's your brand um, on the line. It's increasing, right? Like this problem is increasing. It's We're seeing uh, this sort of issue more and more and certainly, you know, TikTok as a whole, um, you know, there's a whole question about whether alcohol can even be on um, TikTok. So, you know, and and where influencers are sort of crosses that that boundary. So it, it's a really um, difficult space, I would imagine. Are you are you on TikTok? Am I? God, no. Could, <laughs> could you imagine? I, I got Instagram when I started doing some work with Bruce News because I felt like that was the responsible thing for me to do. But I'm not. I'm a lurker social media at best. At the absolute. That's scary. Out. I'm a Twitter junkie, yeah, which is not great either. How about you? How's your TikTok? Uh, we've got a social media um, company or digital marketing guys have looked at setting one up, so we might be investigating it, but we'll see. Yeah, but for you personally, you're not doing the No, no, answers. not me personally. <laughs> I tried to get Matt to do TikTok actually, and he did. What did he do? He did something that was actually really amusing, and I was like, we were really proud of him for his first ever TikTok. I wouldn't do it. Um, right, well, um, this is off the back of a beer for you category. Our next item of news um, is concerns over beer, sugar, content and claims. Sugar claims and sugar content in beer is coming under scrutiny as Food Standards Australia and New Zealand undertakes public consultation of sugar content claims. Since April 2022, the issue of car- carbohydrate and sugar claims has been wrapped up with that of energy kilojoule labelling. The mandates could see brewers forced to include nutrient content on beer, which has not been in the case for alcohol products previously. 
and Fazenz is also currently assessing the proposals to clarify the permissions for making voluntary carbohydrate and sugar content claims on alcoholic beverages, the organisation told Brews News. So um, this is actually really, it sounds a bit nerdy and in the weeds, but this is actually really impactful for the industry and in particular for small businesses. Look, if they're making a claim that it's no sugar, consumers need to know that that's legit. So I think that's probably a move in the right direction. Um, but like you said, the, the following impacts from there could be huge if we're talking about relabeling and, and testing and how they actually find that, that data within their product and are able to put it on the label. Yeah, so I worked on this on the New Zealand side alongside the IBA and the Brewers Associations in both countries. Um, and it's actually really complex because, you know, um, alcohol is one of the only products that hasn't mandatorily had a nutrition information panel or had to provide nutritional information on its products. So you can kind of see that as a um, manufactured beverage product, there isn't really a good reason for it to be excluded from that. And part of that is because theoretically beer is four ingredients, you know, three ingredients. And so it hasn't had that, um, but we are clearly producing beer that contains a whole host of things that is not malt water hops yeast. And so, um, you know, this question around sugars gets really complicated in terms of because of the fermentation process. And so when we were looking at it as a joined up industry, we were like, look, we think probably we agree something needs to occur. Where does it occur? Does it occur on the label? we've already lost so much space on a label to other mandatory things. So actually even that design question of a label, like where do you put it, how big is it? Um, and then, you know, from a small brewery's perspective, how do you even make, like, do you test every one? Do you test every batch? Are there small batch exclusions? Um, and so on and so forth. And, and the technical requirements to get to the level of specificity of a nutrition information panel that includes all of those breakdowns is actually quite significant. So um, I know the consultations are ongoing, um, but tied into that, to your point, is this question of, you know, can any alcohol product, let alone beer, claim to be good for you? And if you're going to say we're low carb and we're low sugar or we're no sugar, we're no carb, how can consumers assess that reasonably? And should we ever, as an industry, be pretending that an alcohol product is good for you? So one might be have less sugar than the other. And, and this is my last thing because it sounds like a bit of a tirade, but the last thing was that as we considered beer versus other alcohols, for example, one of the questions we got into is, well, what against what standard are we reporting against 100 mils? Because beer looks completely different to spirits at 100 mils. We're talking about RTDs because then sugars look really high and, of course, the spirits industry isn't really into into showing those comparisons at that level, so they want to do one. So it, it just became a um, very complex minefield for what is the right answer. I wonder if breweries can even possibly have the time and resources to, to be able to, to look at their product and that might provide those opportunities for external manufacturing processes or places where you can get beer tested you can get things done which i know are evolving uh well they are here on the sunshine coast but across the country as well so maybe there'll be maybe the need for those will be increasing because I, i'm sure some smaller breweries would find that near impossible to be able to to get to that level of detail yeah so last and i don't know where the submissions are at right now but last time when i was working on it with 
those organisations, we had sort of said, look, can't we come up with, let's call it 75 of the most widely produced beers, beer styles, use a standard style and sort of give it some parameters and then do some testing across a range of products that we, and then essentially say, if it's this style and it falls within those parameters, this is the number of kilojoules, this is the sugar, this is the this, so that, you know, you could sort of pick from a menu and then if it was outside of that you needed to do your own testing. But essentially trying to come up with some mechanism by which not every single beer needed to be tested every single time and that then there would have to be an auditing process, you know, so it would be a backwards looking so, you know, they were all options that were being looked at to try and reduce the need, certainly some small batch exclusions as well, um, you know, but it would be silly if it's required on a label but it's not required to be provided if you put it on draft over your bar. So anyway, it's a, it's a really fascinating space and I have no doubt the IBA and the BA here will be getting to it pretty quickly. So if you uh, all of a sudden found yourself in a situation of having mandatory changes to your label and you were like, mm, I wonder where I might go to change my label, is there anyone that you think you might call? Yeah, I'm going to have to reprint all my cans, all my labels, put the sugar listings on there. I'm, I'm probably going to go to Rowling's Labels, Stickers and Packaging. How does that sound? I think that is a great idea. Rowling's Labels, Stickers and Packaging, you might have heard them mentioned on this podcast before, maybe not if you're a first-time listener, um, but they have really made the point that beer can labels are regarded these days as the mini billboard of the beverage industry and they say a lot as an advertisement you can hold in your hand. Each and every one of the new beers speaks volumes about the label-making choices and they're getting more interesting over time every new beer is a genuine conversation starter so we could go on and on about the colors and logos and barcodes and high res and low res images and all of the things that are available to go on to your products but all we can say is that if you contact the guys at Rowling's Label Stickers and Packaging, they will make sure to get your specs right so that your can looks best at all times. So you can give them a call on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rowlingsprint.com.au and see how they can help you make your brand sing. Seamless. Seamless. <laughs> So our next um, article is uh, Lessons Learned. So this is sort of a look back on a brand 12 months later. And this is, Josh, can you help me pronounce this? Wulgulga? Wulgulga. Wulgulga, otherwise known as Whoopi. Okay. So Wulgulga Whoopi Brewing Co. has highlighted the importance of adaptation and feedback from the local community in its first year of business. Co-founder Sarah Poole told Brews News that the team had experienced an array of challenges including flooded, which affected many breweries across southeast Queensland and northern New South Wales earlier this year. There's been quite a list of challenges, some in our control and some completely out of our control, including 106 days of rain in the first five months of the year, the impact of COVID on trading and staff. Having a clear plan and a vision for what we wanted to achieve and a great team, including owners who are prepared to go the extra mile, has meant we've been able to navigate anything that's come our way. So just a really interesting, probably pretty common um, experience for small breweries and breweries that have opened during that period over the last couple of years. 
challenging in lots of fronts, but 106 days of rain just adds another element to it. And that is a wet part of the state. I don't know if you've been to Woolgooga. It's sort of near Coffs Harbour, so they take a lot of rain on. So I'm sure that has not helped their uh, their process. But I was uh, I was super excited to see Charlie is now uh, their head brewer there. That's a, that's an awesome step in the right direction as far as sort of quality and production. Yeah, I mean, you know, Charlie obviously uh, did some big things here at um, Helios in Brisbane. And so, you know, that's a really good get for them in terms of um, in a market that is so challenging to get experienced brewers right now. So, you know, that says good things about where the business wants to go in terms of being able to attract talent like that. So good Mm. on them. And it's hard to read the challenges, but it's always good to see when it ends with a note of optimism for like, yeah, we're going to keep cracking. I'll have to get them. I'll have to visit those guys. They're not too far away from where my mum lives down in Ballin. I'll have to just do a little side trip and go a little further to, to Whoopi. It's a great town, but I've not been there since the brewery's there. So on my hit list. That's exciting. I would, no, oh, there's so many. Um, so our next bit of news is sort of a bit closer to home. Brew Lab Queensland seeks participants for industry workshops. Queensland Brew Lab is seeking industry participants to take part in upcoming beer flavour tank workshop and also for potential hosts to take its workshop on the road. The first event on 29 September will be held on site at Cooper's Plains in Brisbane and is a free workshop designed for new and recent entrants to the craft industry. The first part of the workshop is an introduction to sensory skills conducted by scientists from the Consumer and Sensory Science Group of the Department of Agriculture and Fisheries, which will go through the fundamentals of sensory science from first principles. The second part is a familiarisation workshop looking at the 10 most common flavour taints in beer and a discussion on exactly how those taints can develop in the product through the production and packaging process. So, you know, this is a... um, Queensland has got a craft beer strategy. Uh, Not a whole lot has been uh, done specifically on that strategy. So it's good to see something like this coming out of um, Brew Lab, which was set up as part of that craft beer investment in Queensland. Yeah, look, I absolutely love it. I think it's a great uh, workshop. And what I really enjoyed seeing was it's focused on that new and recent entrance to the industry, which is really important. They're the ones that really want to get a better understanding on on beers and faults in beers and that can be really hard to do around sort of more senior and more um i guess uh experienced brewers too because you're a little bit reluctant to put your hand up and say what is this oh i'm not sure i don't want to say the wrong thing Um, and we've recently done that on the sunshine coast we've got all our brewers together and run something very similar for for new staff um, or for sort of new brewers to come on board uh, and just be in a safe space to be able to talk about that what they taste is it right is it wrong and learn in a in a, I guess in a safe environment is the right way to to say that we've had Chris Sheehan from Yamundi uh, and Kristen McGarry from your mates sort of helping run that so a couple of seniors on board to help guide it um, but I know Kristen's already approached these guys to say hey bring it on the road we'd love to see that on the Sunshine Coast uh, to sort of develop that um, industry training component which we're starting to do collectively now on the Sunshine Coast as well. Yeah, it's a massive, um, it, you know, the thread around needing to make sure that you're con- constantly um, upskilling local and potential workforces, so not just people in but people that might be considering a move who are like, actually, I'm going to come to this workshop um, and maybe I'll consider getting into beer because we are short-staffed in every aspect of, um, you know, a, a brewing business at the moment, both uh, back, you know, back of house on the brewing teams, but also on the hospo side. And so any investment like this that gives people an educational opportunity that upskills staff is so important. And 
Steve Brockman, I think, earlier was talking about how, you know, um, the university in W in Perth really, uh, they were one of the first programs in Pruing and they then had staff go through Little Creatures and Gage Roads who have now sort of gone all the way over the country and anywhere where there is that education sort of hotspot in terms of a program, it, it really does grow the local community in terms of our skilled workforce. Yeah, it's really important. So I, I was really happy to see that. And I think uh, you know, breweries or regions should put their hands up and, and invite those guys to do it. Because it's a lot of work to try and get all the flavour tank kits in and set it up. Mm-hmm. And if you could have someone like this that's got something ready to go, I think the, the value of it is priceless. Well, it's great. And, you know, hopefully through this, anyone listening, you know, can get in touch uh, with the folks or get in touch with the team at Brews News. You can put you in touch with the right people if you don't know where to go. Um, And hopefully, you know, we can see a bit more of that. So it seems really cool. So that's sort of um, the mainstay of the news, Josh. But while we're in the neighbourhood of Queensland, you know, that's really... um, your kind of baby. You're obviously Sunshine Coast based, but you've just come back from a massive trip, four cities in four days in the US, 140 appointments selling Australia to the US market. And then you backed it up with, you know, another sales tour in the NZ. So you're sort of representing Australia and then you're representing Sunshine Coast and you're also sort of representing food and drink and beer. And so, you know, when I think about all of that, I go, well, what's what's your sales pitch? What's your elevator pitch in your 140 meetings to say, come to Australia, come to the Sunshine Coast, drink beer? Like, well, I could nearly give you the whole pitch because some of those appointments were only seven minutes. That's how short they were. But it is like speed dating for tourism. It has been a whirlwind trip uh, representing... I guess our region first and foremost, but Queensland and Australia. And, and to be honest, when, when you sit down in front of a, a travel agent in Seattle or um, San Diego, a lot of that is where is the Sunshine Coast? So there's a yeah. little bit of a, a geography lesson and getting them excited about the region. And that's the first thing um, we really do on those trips because you want people to get here first. And then the benefit yeah. is to everyone in the region once yeah. they're here. So yeah, look, the, the, the pitch really was talking about our local food and produce um, and our, our drink trails, which are obviously the, the brewery tours that we run and the, the breweries we have here on the sunny coast, bunch of distilleries we've got too, yeah. but really how we connect that with other local producers and you know farm to fork tours. So I was speaking on a broad scale on what we offer here on the Sunshine Coast, which is, which is important. Yeah. Um, but some of the areas I was in, you know, San Diego, for example, is a, a craft beer capital of its, of its own. And those yeah. guys, their eyes just lit up when I told them how many breweries we had here. So, you know, beer tourism is alive and well. Yeah. Um, and it, it was a part of what I talked about on those sales trips. But um, first and foremost, it's, it's warming the market back up. The US market have gone elsewhere. So now we're trying to, to get them to, to come back to Oz and remind them why, why it's so good. So these are, you know, people who would put together tourism packages for people. So are they the types of, so it's sort of a different audience, right? You're not talking to uh, someone who is a beer geek. Like you're not sitting down and talking to someone who would immediately go, Australia is a beer uh, producing hotspot. We've got to go there to drink their beer. You've got to really connect that story from sort of top to bottom. There's the beer might be the gateway to a small town. It might be, um, you know, part of your food experience, but it's this sort of, um, you know, creating that brand Australia or brand Sunshine Coast in your case and and beer is a part of that experience. 
Yeah. So from a broader perspective under Tourism Australia, beer hasn't really formed part of their pillars yet. They, they talk about food and wine experiences and beer it sits under that. Yeah. It doesn't get a name in the title, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but from a sunny coast perspective, it's, it's definitely included in that conversation. But you're right. I'm talking to people who want to sell Australia to their clientele, to their database. So for them, yeah. they need to know what all those cool things are. They might, they might not be the beer nerd, but they know the beer nerds or they've got access to the beer nerds. So, or people who love to travel for food and drink experiences. Yeah, yeah. So I, I need to tell them what that is so they can then on sell it to those um, those people that um, that they know and then bring them back to the to the country. So it was, yeah, look, it was a whirlwind trip. It was, I love traveling. Don't get me wrong. Like I absolutely love traveling. So getting back to the US was awesome. Oh, I'm jealous. It was mental though. Holy hell. Like the amount of time I spent in airports and, and you know, security lines, it was just bonkers, absolutely bonkers. <laughs> and so did you you know, given how busy it was, did you get the chance to go out and, you know, experience any beer, any any US beer, experience the beer market? I had to at every given opportunity. <laughs> I was pretty I was pretty lucky. Some of the conferences, I mean, they, they do it so well over there that beer has just become entrenched. So at a conference, usually it's just some pretty ordinary tap beers. There'd be 15 local beers on tap as part of the conference package. So that kind of stuff's really cool. So even New Zealand was doing that very well when I was there. So I think that's the next step for our maturity in that sort of campaign we can we can live it and breathe it but we've really got to have that um, beer available at all those options so when people visit they can see that we 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 put it at the top of the list yeah cool. so look yeah at conferences was were, were actually pretty good but outside of that I, I took a day off and went to anaheim visited four breweries in a day and um yeah really tried to soak up what i could for for what was happening in the in the local market and i mean the ipas are exceptional and they're one of my favorite beer styles i was just blown away by how much they dominate the market um, knowing yeah. all those things that it's a big yep. IPA market over there and we've we've talked about and you guys have mentioned on the show too about um, you know high ABV isn't penalised as much with excise so they, they go crazy and they make them but they are everywhere they dominate every tap list uh, it, it actually caught me by surprise yeah it's interesting so Steve Brockman was on a few weeks ago and he kind of talked about his time in Vegas and and really how that was that the higher ABVs and the IPAs were really um, were dominant. And it's fascinating to see, you know, uh, Matt has always talked about how um, Australia has been one of the leading mid-strength markets in the world and that a lot of um, international, uh, a large-scale international beer makers would come and test their product in Australia because we were sort of the founding market for that mid-strength. And it's interesting to see that, you know, it sounds a little bit like the Australian market might be coming off the back end of the IPA craze and that's not happening in the US just yet. Definitely not. I mean, mid-strength, wow, didn't see any of those when I went into to breweries. And I'd be lucky, half the time I'd be lucky if there was a pale ale to try to start with. There might be one or two lagers or even a Pilsner, but maybe one pale ale. And then it just launched into IPAs, which were all very good, doubles, triples, um, you know, I was I was blown away. I mean, they were exceptional beers, but to sit at the at the counter and want to be the guy I am and get a paddle and try their yeah. try their core range, the core range was you know pretty much just all IPAs. And I'd watch people come into the to the brewery and they'd just say, you know, four IPAs, thanks, and, and that was just the starting drink. So I wonder what the um, drink driving laws there are. I, bet, I wonder if there's a higher tolerance. You know, like I a, like think a- they're a little more relaxed with policing than perhaps we are but um, but yeah. look I didn't really notice that to be honest I, I just noticed IPAs everywhere I went to a Dodgers game in LA and there were 20 beers available 15 of them were sort of independent and craft and probably 10 of those were IPAs it was yeah, right. uh, just 
it blew me away. It was really cool, but it was just such a difference from our market. Yeah, and, and in particular, such a difference. It's interesting. One of the journalists, Vivian, did a piece recently about sort of the right beer for the right market. And it's interesting, in particular, on the Sunshine Coast, you know, given the heat, given the beach, you know, it's a different, you probably don't want high ABV beers no. all day, every day, right? It's a different kind of a drinking, notwithstanding notwithstanding Moffat's um, and the beers that they're producing. <laughs> That's a good point. So I took some Moffat Beach IPAs with me. I wanted to take award-winning IPA from an award-winning brewery. Uh, and actually one of the breweries I went to, Radiant uh, in uh, Anaheim, they were the champion small brewery of the US. So I was like, oh, hey, cool. here's an IPA from the champion small brewery of Australia. It was pretty well received. I didn't have to pay for my beers at that stop, which was cool. But uh, I agree, it's definitely a beer for the market. But some of those things were just interesting to observe and um, even just the distribution models at those breweries, predominantly they were all just direct. Um, I said to these guys, right, hey, this beer's awesome. I want to buy one at a liquor store later today. Can I get one somewhere? No, we just do direct. We don't do bottle. We don't do liquor stores, bottle shops. And yeah. that wasn't uncommon. And I just thought that was that was really unique in how they were were pushing that. And they were fair sized breweries too. They weren't just some very small, tiny little setup. They were selling a lot of beer direct to the market. Well, that, it's interesting. I mean, that ties back to our Endeavour conversation earlier, but, you know, we're, we're increasingly seeing, you know, this trend of if you want to sort of survive, you really need to be able to sell the product yourself on your own premises. There is sort of this rise around, um, you know, the combo on-premise experience, but also having a really good retail offering directly from your tap room um, and sort of we're seeing that increase even in the Australian market potentially, I guess, you know, in rise of that, but we just don't have as significant a population centre no, to that's allow right. for breweries to get to that size doing, you know, through a one venue model kind of thing. Yeah, it was it was cool to see because I'm on there going, wow, these guys are killing. They're just doing direct sales. They've got this this the consumer buying pattern was different too. People would come in and order a case or two and and walk out, and that was the yeah. norm. There weren't people taking singles and four packs. Mm. But you're right, we're looking at LA, which it's a huge population that can, you know, Anaheim itself had 20 breweries just in one town. So um, there's a huge amount of breweries, but a population to, to support that as well. Fascinating. And so, you know, um, then you uh, jumped straight from there almost over the ditch. Where were you? you? Oh, you were in Christchurch, weren't you? Christchurch, Tauranga, Auckland. Bang, 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 three days. So it was another, wow. another whirlwind trip. And did you get any? Did you get to have any beers in NZ? I had some beers, but I didn't get a chance to get to any breweries. I just did not have the time. But again, conferences just had great beer on tap and included. So that's another one of those things where you really ingrain, um, you know, local beer into everything you do locally. And that's, I mean, we're on the sunny coast. We're trying to mature that and have that option as well and, and build yeah. it into conferences. It's great to see other countries doing that on that level. Um, well, and to go back to the US market too, like they, they just, the word craft beer is everywhere. Whether you're on the airlines, they're saying there's wine and craft beer available. It, you know, beer, it's just part of the conversation with yeah. um, marketing, with, with restaurants, with conferences, it's there. And, and New Zealand does that very well as well. So I think that's something we can learn from here in Australia and, and build that into that platform. And then it will get that um, status with Tourism Australia. Yeah, that push, I mean, as you as you know, that was, you know, my baby, but that push to get instead of like just change the word from food and wine to food and beverage and then that just sounds more inclusive already um, because it is not intuitive to click on wine and then 
you know, craft beer as a, as a drop down. So, um, you know, hopefully we can start to do some work, you know, in particular around our raw ingredients here and that grain to glass supply chain in Australia and what that means joined up with the tourism and hospitality experience and really create a brand Australia around the beer offering and, and get it right up there. Cause that's, you know, that's the dream. People. Absolutely. No, I, I love that. And that's what I've been pushing to do. And I feel like we're making little inroads. It's just one yeah. of those things that everyone has to get on board and they have to keep pushing and uh, we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a long, it's a long road, but it's totally worth it. So um, I guess where we are now, so we've, we've gone nice and quickly, which Matt will be pleased about. Um, but this week we do have a brewery of the week. And HPA, with the support of Convoy, are proudly bringing you our upcoming coverage of the Drink Tech Trade Show that's happening right now in Munich. Uh, we actually reported our first story from that at the top of the show. Their support means that the Australian brewing industry is getting real-time reporting on the biggest trends, innovations and work from the world's leading beverage trade fair. So HPA and Convoy are also supporting this week's Brewery of the Week. And Josh, has, as has been... Um, our new approach our guest gets to talk about their favorite brewery of the week so do you have one i love doing brewery of the week i do that on my little podcast called beers in the sheds but we don't have a sponsor yet so if hba or convoy are looking <laughs> to sponsor our segment that would also be cool so what before we go to the beer of the brewery of the week and tell us about for those who are listening that don't know about beers in the sheds so I started a, a podcast for a bit of fun with a mate of mine called Beers in the Sheds. We love our sport, so we, we talk about sport. It's a short 15-minute, easy to digest. Um, but we talk about beers and having a, a beer in the sheds, and it's sort of meant to be a, an opportunity to have a beer with your mates and who you'd have a beer with. We pick a celeb each week where we say we call that um, ale or bale. Would we have a beer or would we not have a beer with them? It can be controversial nice. at times. Nice. But, um, but it's a bit of fun. So, look, to be honest, it's family and friends listening at this point, but it is, it is a lot of fun. Um, but we do a brewery of the week and I love that because it's an opportunity to, to share the love. And often I get a bit caught when people say, what's your favorite brewery on the coast? What's your favorite beer? And it, it is kind of hard to, to do that. Yeah. But when I get an opportunity to, to share the love like this, it's great. I can sort of spread that around. So I have picked a local brewery. I hope that's okay. Sure. I've gone with Mort's Brewing Co. Uh, now these guys are one of the smallest breweries, if not smallest on the sunny coast. And they're based in Nambour. Um, now, they've bought awesome craft beer to Nambour. They're set up uh, in a, a cool little space that actually used to be home to your mates once upon a time. They had a little bar called The Basement. Yeah. So these guys have taken this over and, and really run with it. And Jamie is an exceptional brewer, um, and they make really great small batch beers. They're, they don't really have a core range. They like to say that their their beers are always changing. Um, but what I love is they always have some styles on tap that the bigger, well, when I say the bigger guys, but guys are saying it's not commercial, commercially viable to make a hef anymore. We're not going to make yeah. hefs. Bam, you go to, to Mort's and there'll be a hef on tap. There's a killer IPA on tap and you'll just have a really interesting range and that's what I really like about what they do and it's, um, look, small little small little setup, husband and wife mainly running it, um, Jamie and Vanessa and yeah, highly recommend checking it out. Oh, cool. Well, that sounds, I mean, that sounds right up my alley and not that far away. So that sounds like it's a must visit for anyone coming to the sunny coast, I guess. Um, so Josh, look, we've covered a massive amount of big news, but also um, sort of things that are both esoteric and really small, but then have the big picture overview of kind of what's going on in the US. Is there anything else that you want to talk to our beer industry about? 
No, I think we all need to keep championing the, the, the good fight. I think there's lots of potential, but I can definitely lay claim to saying it doesn't happen quickly. I mean, in the space of six and a bit years now of running brewery tours on the coast when we only had about three breweries, I would constantly wave the flag in front of tourism and say, hey, look what's happening right here. We've got all these cool breweries. Let's let's do this thing. Beer tourism is real. And they were like, yeah, look, we'll support you because you're a tour operator, but I'm not sure if beer really fits into to what we do. Mm. To five years down the track, them now you know, really supporting it and getting support from, from higher levels. So, so Tourism Queensland and even Tourism Australia to give us the nod to go on a, a conference. So it, it takes time. And it's exhausting at times and, and um, you know, it can get a little tiring doing some of this stuff, but it, it's great. It, it is changing and you've got to keep pushing to, to make change. So breweries play a huge part in that, in, in tourism. Um, and I'll keep probably putting my tourism hat on, but they can play a huge part in developing their local region, their state, and even the, the country as a bit more of a destination for, let's call it food and drinks, let's call it food and beverage. Um, it, it, it is a huge thing and people, when they travel, they want a local story. They want to connect to local produce. Uh, we've got an opportunity to do it. So I just encourage breweries to, to not ignore tourism and collaborate with other local breweries and whoever else they can to, to make that happen. Yeah, I definitely, you know, we are seeing it in various pockets across the country and really at that regional level, you know, it sort of seems to be that once the regional size that you're trying to coordinate gets too big, so even at the state level, it can be quite difficult, but those smaller regional trails you know, there are pockets around the country that are having success with that, that are getting the support. But, you know, again, the theme seems to be um, whether it be through educational opportunities or otherwise that, you know, collaborating locally with your local breweries, um, you know, pro- provides a path and an opportunity forward. Well, dear listeners, we hope that hasn't, it's been short and sweet and hopefully not too dry for you in Matt's colourful absence. Uh, and some of you who are part of the Radio Bruce News group might have enjoyed seeing his hiking photos. He is now posting Stein photos because he's <laughs> uh, landed in Munich. Um, and he will be um, back in a couple of weeks' time and you can hear his dulcet tones and no doubt his reporting out. So with that, that wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Sabrina Kunz, and our guest, Joshua Donohoe. The show is produced by Vivian Tapalovich and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Bintani, Rowling's Label Stickers and Packaging, HBA and Convoy for their support in making this episode possible. Thank you all for listening. Share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au or leaving a review on your favourite podcasting service. And we're out. This booms for you, Claire. Boom. <laughs>